Hi there, and welcome along to episode 124 of the Jersnet Weekly Podcast, the totally free and independent Rangers podcast that is made by the fans for the fans, and where the content is always absolutely free. And as you know by now, it's not just the podcast that we have here at Jersnet, but please do head over to the website at jersnet.co.uk, where you'll find a load of articles, match previews, uh, a history archive, and a friendly discussion forum as well. Uh, it's just gone 9.30 on a Sunday evening. We are live, as always. We're on YouTube. The cameras are on. Um, but if you're not joining us live this evening, then remember that the audio experience will also be able to download on uh, a Monday morning. And that's on Acast, iTunes, Stitch, uh, Stitcher, CastBox, and also on Spotify. My name's Ross Bennett. I'll be your host this evening. Um, there's not been a game for us to, to talk about this weekend, so we'll be casting our minds back to Wednesday evening and the trip to Easter Road. And helping me to do that are two of our finest journalists that we have up here in Scotland. Uh, first up, it's your friend and mine, David Wren. David, how's your weekend been? Yeah, yeah, good. Um, disappointed you lost the, the call centre headset before we came on air tonight. Um, Aye. It didn't quite work out, did it? No. For, I mean, for anyone. That's um, the thing. It's, I could hear you. I could hear you all nicely, but um, no, that's getting punted. I bought that specifically from Taiwan. Um, it took 18 days to arrive and uh, it's, it's terrible. So yeah. well, that's a shame. Uh, so sorry about that everyone uh, you'll have to see my ears um, also with us this evening and, and making a, a warm welcome return to the Jazznet podcast from the Herald and the Glasgow Times is Chris Jack Chris how are you? Very good thanks thanks for having us on once again been quite a, quite a strange weekend with no game I felt like I was at a game every uh, two or three days uh, during December so to have a to have a free, a free uh, a weekend's a bit of a strange one but uh, it's, it's, still been, it's still been a good week yeah, I mean, there's still there's still plenty of football to watch, which is a, a relief and some pleasing results, let's say, from a Rangers perspective. What have you uh, managed to do to fill your time on a, a Rangers-free weekend during a, a COVID lockdown? Uh, still just obviously keeping up with, with things, even, even if Rangers aren't playing. There's certainly been plenty of things to uh, keep us uh, amused and entertained, <laughs> shall we say. And obviously, there's plenty of things that obviously affect how uh, that affect the Rangers pictures as well. So I'm sure we'll get onto uh, some of them later on. But you know, it's still been a, it's still been interesting to, uh, to say the very least. Aye, exactly. Um, obviously, we're, we're approaching the end of the transfer window as well. So that, that keeps things interesting. Um, and we will come on to talk about that in a wee bit. But there's only really one place for us to start, and that's to cast our minds back to Wednesday evening. Um, an always difficult trip to, to Easter Road, and, and what with the sort of impending sense of, of winning 55 um, and, and the unbeaten record that we have going as well, this was always going to be quite a difficult trip and, and, and one that had a lot of anticipation. David, um, we welcome back Ryan Jack to the starting lineup, who I thought was superb against Ross County when he came on, came on, got himself a goal, could have had one or two more. Um, but Ryan Jack started alongside Glenn Kamara and, and Steve Davis. And that's something that we all like to talk about, how that's quite a, a negative setup. Um, that being said, Easter Road, difficult place to go against one of the harder teams in the league. Were you surprised at that starting lineup? Did you maybe fear it might be too negative? No, I think um, I think when you go away to, to Easter Road or Pataudry or anywhere else, uh, it's deemed a, a tough place to go. Um, that sort of... You know, balance in midfield, I think, is key. Something I'd sort of picked up on, you know, throughout the the games without Ryan Jack or Scott Arfield was I, I felt like Joe Rebo, you know, a fantastic player, someone that I really, really like. But I felt we lost quite a few battles in the midfield when, when he was there. I, I actually picked, there was a couple in the Ross County game. Just, he, he seems to go to ground, you know, and, and try and slide in on players quite easily. I, I don't think tackling and tracking men's is, is best uh, you know, I think he's a lot better than forward areas, basically. 
Um, so seeing him line up in that in that more advanced area of the pitch was um, was pleasing. And I thought I thought Ryan Jack had to come back in, really, as you say, when he against Ross County, he was fantastic. And you know we we know we know how good he is and how good he can be on his day. And I thought. Yeah, I thought between him, Davis and Kamara, they 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 really set the tone. And I mean, Kamara's shown himself to really be a fantastic player and someone who I think would walk into most teams in the English Premier League. Um, I wouldn't be surprised if someone makes a move for him in the summer. I think there's obviously been people interested in the past, but you know you can see him playing with, with a lot of teams down there. Um, fantastic talent, and I think. You know, for fifty grand, it's it's. I mean, it really is one of the best pieces of business in in, in my lifetime watching Rangers, um, in terms of value. So, yeah, I thought I thought it was good to see actually Kamara seem to venture forward a wee bit more when Jack was back in the team, and he really showed. I mean, his capability in, in those areas of the park as well. So, yeah, it was good to see Jack back. I think the balance was good on Wednesday night. I think for the game that it was, and you know, the challenge that that Hibs posed, it was the right right selection. I think yeah, that's a good point about. Joe Arribo because you know he, he's undoubtedly a, a quality technical player and um, his goal against Ross County is, is up there for goal of the season for me so far it was you know admittedly shocking defending but the, the angle that he's, uh, he's carved to score that is, is exceptional but he has been m- maybe caught a wee bit short sometimes defensively um, certainly arguably was at fault for the Aberdeen goal that we conceded uh, up at Pataudry a couple of weeks back so um, I, just just a wee bit more certainty and assuredness in in the heart of midfield was, was no bad thing considering uh, I know that Martin Boyle didn't start but they have some some pacey players regardless Hibs so I think it's I think you're right it was the right call Chris we had a a, a wonderful goal um, and we'll we'll talk about whether or not Morello should have been been on the pitch but it was a a, a really nicely worked um, goal with Joe Rebo Ryan Jack Alfredo Morelos finishing it off. And, and Morelos really could and probably should have had a hat-trick with a couple of chances that he either took too long on or you know one that he, he sort of scuffed away from a couple of yards out. Um, he's certainly not hit the, the heights that he's hit in previous seasons, but you know a couple of goals against Aberdeen earlier in the month, um, goals against St Mirren more recently as well. Is it fair to say that any perceived slump from Alfredo Morelos is, is over and he's well and truly back in form? I don't think he's fully back in form. I think he's obviously his role in the team. He's judged on goals. He's judged on numbers. He's judged on output. I think some of the criticism he got towards the start of the season was a wee bit unjust. I know he wasn't getting the same numbers that he has done in, in previous seasons, but I think the role that he was playing with the as part of the team, as part of that front three, I think that was more important than just sticking the ball in the back of the net. Now, I know that's how he's always going to be always going to be judged. I think some of the criticism he got at the start was a wee bit unfair. Now, I don't think he's back at his best goal-scoring form, but I think that, that role he's playing for the team in terms of dropping in, going in different areas, allowing other guys to then get involved, especially, as David said, if you have a Kamara or you have a, an Arfield as a midfield runner, having Morelos drop into certain areas creates more problems uh, for uh, for teams. So I think he's, he's he's certainly getting there. That the goal that he scored, uh, perhaps the one up at Aberdeen, certainly the one against Burn, that was the kind of chance that he was missing. You think back to the Mother game, the Hibs game, he's he's snatching at ones. The ones where if he's got too much time, he, he ends up missing them. Has it straight to the keeper he puts it away. So please I'm I'm pleased to see him back scoring that type of goal because that is the type of goal that he is very good at. And that's the type of goal if you're going to be a, a title winning team, you need your main striker. When the chance comes with that, 
needed him to put the ball in the back in it. So certainly a certainly a good all round performance from him. Uh, the manager was uh, certainly pleased with him after the after the game. And again, he said he could easily have had a hat trick. How how he missed the one at, at the back post, I don't know. We'll, we'll give him the benefit of the doubt and say there was a bobble, but. For, for a guy of, of his of his calibre, you're really expecting him to be putting that away. And if he does, and makes the whole makes the rest of the game, makes the whole night, makes the whole scoreline, makes the whole feel round about it, just that wee bit different. So I think he'll be disappointed himself. The manager will be disappointed. But overall, no, to go to go to Road to win one nil, you can't really complain too much. No, absolutely. He's he's, he's almost a, a bit of an enigma, Morelos, in that he he scores a bit of a cliche, but he scores the harder chances. Um and, and that one at the back post was I mean, it, it should be as simple as it comes for a, a striker. I was all the, the the other one where the ball comes in over the top and he's he's free of the last defender and and wants to take another touch and another touch. Whereas normally he's he's so keen to get a shot away from regardless of wherever he is in, in the box. But um, at the end of the day, like you say, he he gets the goal that wins the game and uh, and it keeps the train moving on. But Chris, the the big question, the one that's caused days and days worth of debate, um, and I think nineteen references during the game from Sky Sports, if you go back and count them, should he have still been on the pitch to score that goal? No, I don't I don't think so. I, I, I think it's a red card, unfortunately. Uh, it's the type of thing, he gets himself involved in silly things. I know the, the coverage on Sky and the coverage in media headlines and stuff, I know that's part and something that Rangers fans don't, don't agree with and to an extent, I, I, I certainly agree with them on that. But, if he doesn't do it, the whole furore then doesn't erupt round about him. It was a bit daft, and he must he must know by now he's not going to get away with that type of thing. Now, I know we're probably come on to Darren McGregor one, and you can compare it to the Edward one against the Indiana a couple of weeks ago. There's countless examples of Scott Brown doing it. There's a Lee Griffiths one against Hamilton from last season, I think it was as well. All these type of things come into a big good argument, but I, I think Alfredo were lucky to get away with it, and unfortunately, I think he will get, he will get done by the SFA. Yeah, I, 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 you know, I agree. Um, I think he did probably know what he was doing, and he, he's he's tried to, to get. He got away with it on the day, but with, with retrospective action, um, it, it it doesn't happen. Now, obviously, you, you've you've mentioned the fact that the media and, and the headlines and everything else. Um, one phrase that we as a fan base seem to use quite a lot is "trial by sports scene," um, and maybe in this case, it was it was trial by Andy Walker, but it's the same principle. Do you do you believe that there's something in that 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 the, the the attention that a player like Morelos gets, because if you, as I say, 19 references to that challenge by Andy Walker compared to five for Darren McGregor's challenge, which we'll come on to, um, was, was different and should be viewed differently. Um, but do you think that there's maybe a power behind the media that if they focus on these incidents, it makes it more likely that he'll, he'll face retrospective action? Sky Sports from was interesting. So I was obviously at the game, so I wasn't watching the Sky feed, and obviously couldn't hear the commentary. Uh, but on certainly flicking through Twitter as the as the game was going on, the number of guys mentioned it, saying, "Why is he mentioned that again?" He mentioned it like straight after the after the start of the second half. Why is that being brought up again? Why is it been brought up again? And then also scores, and it's it's brought back again. And the whole trial by sports scene, trial by Sky Sports. I've I've said for years, I think there is something in that. If that's Kelly against St Johnson where it gets 600 words in the paper rather than 1,500 words in the paper. It's not live on Sky. People aren't debating it endlessly on the on Twitter and on forums and on Facebook and all the rest of it. I, I think there's something the SFA seem to focus on. I'm not saying they focus on certain individuals, but they focus on certain incidents. That It's, it's also natural that Rangers will create more headlines and there will be more talking points around Rangers, but that shouldn't be how the SFA 
have won the game. The SFA should be looking at every game, every incident, on a par with, with everyone else. Not just because it's created a bit of stushy on Sky Sports or a manager gets asked about it. Again, Jack Ross mentions it and becomes a bigger a bigger story than if Alec Dyer mentions it or a Callum Davidson mentions it or Graham Alexander mentions it. All, all these type of things just because it's, it's Rangers is also going to create a bigger a bigger story. Which from a media perspective, I think there's a a bit of part a part of that is actually okay because we obviously have to generate headlines and and, did, and spark debate. That's not how the SFA should be operating. The SFA should be operating, treating every example the same. If it's a foul, it's a foul. If it's a red card, it's a red card. If it deserves action, it deserves action, not just because there's been a bit of a stushy and because people are talking about it. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right. And I don't know, Rangers Rangers this season seem to be going about their off-the-park business very, very quietly. And whether that's the the dignified silence route or or whether that's we're doing so well on the park that we don't need to detract from it. Uh, you know, things like Celtic going to Dubai, we don't pass comment. We, we, we now wear masks in interviews, which is maybe a better way of passing comment, but we're, we're keeping very quiet on this kind of thing. I'd be surprised, very surprised, if Rangers aren't asking these questions at the end of the season. So, you know, when everything's wrapped up, and even if it's behind closed doors in a respectful, professional manner, um, I expect, and I would, as a fan, I would expect the club to be asking those questions and, and saying that this is, not appearing to be a fair and impartial process that, that treats every club the same. Now, David, we I'm quite glad actually that the questions have worked out this way that I'm asking this question about Darren McGregor to yourself because you look very similar. Yes, um, yeah. He's a, a handsome man as well, but yeah. um, McGregor has, has wound up in the book for wrestling Glenn Kamara, throwing him to the floor, and then there is... I mean, I don't know if we call it a stamp, but let's say stud-to-leg contact. Um, how do you view that incident compared to the Morelos incident? Well, this will, this will probably sum up. I don't even remember that incident. Um, and I, I, I can't off the top of my head. I haven't seen it in the highlights I've watched today, which maybe tells its own story because I, I could tell you every aspect of the, of the Morelos challenge. Which, I agree with Chris, it was a red card. I mean, we can't really contest that. It was a red card, it was stupid. I think there's been a bit of previous with those two players and I don't think Morelos necessarily forgets easily about things like that. But I found myself watching games on Sky this season. It's been quite refreshing having Alan Coist on from time to time, but I feel like I can predict what Andy Walker's going to say and how he's going to say it before he says it. No, I've got nothing against Andy Walker, really. I, I, I don't particularly enjoy his commentary, but I actually think he sometimes has some good points in games. And certainly, his sort of analysis in recent weeks has been has been good on the wider Scottish football um, issues in Scottish football. But I find this melodrama quite exhausting because, you know... Watching the game, and as Chris says, I mean, I've 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 done it myself. I've, I've worked in the sort of sports side of the media, um, and there's obviously talking points in the game, but it's becoming quite exhausting how long these things are dragged out for. I mean, there's still massive conversation about this Morelos challenge, and, and we're we're now on Sunday, and you're still seeing things popping up about it. He's been he's been naughty. The referee's not seen it, which actually in real time when I saw it on TV, and I don't know, Chris was obviously at the game, um, and maybe he can he can come in just, just shortly on this, but um, 
I, I didn't see it, you know, as as it was, you know, in real time. When they showed the replays, and as you say, that sort of showing the replays 8,000 times, um, you see everything that happens. But in that initial moment, I just thought it was like a bit of a stromash. Um, and so I can see why the referee didn't give it. We knew the, we certainly knew when Ian Crocker continually mentioned retrospective action during the game um, that that would probably come. It's now come. He's going to be banned for three games. It's, it's over. You know, so why were, why were, why it's still becoming an issue in the wider picture of Rangers as a club and uh, Morales as a player who has, has a, a temper, but and I read a piece today in, in the Sunday Times about you know whether English clubs are put off by his petulance and, and whether clubs whether we'll struggle to get twenty million quid which we want for him. And it's quite difficult because I'm more concerned about his performances this season. And as Chris said, he's nowhere near he was the level he was you know at the the start of last season. So I'm more concerned about his overall performance in terms of getting money rather than that edge he's got to him because I think I, I, I love that about him I don't love silly challenges like Thursday night but he certainly sorry Wednesday night he certainly puts himself about in games and that's what we love about him um, but yeah it's, it's difficult I mean retrospective actions come he's going to be banned for three games and, you know maybe it's time we just moved on and I'm, I'm sorry you've asked me about the McGregor challenge and I've literally not mentioned it because I, I can't remember what it was but um, other than that, that that's that's my point no, it's good because it means that I can ask Chris about it because you've, you've steered clear of it entirely. Chris, obviously you were there. Please tell me that, that you're aware of the challenge that I'm talking about. I am aware of it, but at, at the time, didn't think there was anything at all. The Morelos, Portius one, uh, you also saw them coming together uh, and you can tell by the reaction on, on the pitch that there was maybe something. I don't think anybody knew at the time how, how bad it was, I feel like, or how, or how it actually looked. The McGregor, eh, Kamara ones, like it's just two guys coming together on a touchline and being being also the other side of the pitch, you can't really tell if McGregor's got stood on his thigh, his ankle, whatever. I think the Morelos one, without trying to get inside Alfredo's hand, which is fairly impossible, I think he knows a bit what he's doing and he knows he's going out to be a wee bit naughty, trying to be a wee bit cute and perhaps leave a wee bit on Portis because there's also a bit of a bit of rivalry there. He's become the man that he loves to hate now that Scott McKenna's out the road. The Darren McGregor one, I think he's just a wee bit unfortunate. I think that's why the ones his foot has to go somewhere. I know that's a lot of the that's the excuse a lot of the Rangers fans have used for Alfredo. I think Alfredo knows what he's doing a bit more than Darren McGregor does. I think McGregor just the two players come he has to put his foot somewhere. It ends up standing top of Kamara. It's a nasty one. It's a sore one. I think it's a booking, but I think Alfredo's is a red. So it's, uh, actually, I'm really glad you made that point about McGregor and, and where his foot's going to come down because uh, sports scene on Wednesday night, Chris Ilimo says, uh, you know, as a as a footballer, if you could, if you could call Chris Ilimo a footballer, um, says as a, as a player. I think he knew where his foot was going to go and essentially saying he, he could have moved it if he'd wanted to, but but didn't. Now, I'm not sure. I mean, I'm clearly not a footballer. I don't I don't know if his, his reactions are going to be that good. I mean, it's Darren McGregor and we had the pleasure of watching him play for Rangers for a year, so I don't know. But um, it, I, I would say at the risk of, you know, staunch points being wiped off the board, I would say that actually, 
the Morelos one should have been a red, the McGregor one should have been a, a yellow, and that's probably about right. Um, I don't know, Chris, what are your thoughts on that? I think so. I, said, I think the McGregor one's a yellow and a deserved yellow. I think if Alfredo had got sent off for it at the time, I don't think there'd have been the whole the whole Ferrari. He would have still got the same level of criticism. I think it's only been blown up even more so than obviously Alfredo things always do anyway. I think it's been blown up a wee bit more because he also stayed on the park, played quite well, could have had a hat trick, scored the winning goal, and that then makes it a bigger that then makes it a bigger deal. But I, I think he knew what he was doing. I think he was trying to be a bit cute, trying to be a wee bit daft. And as David was saying, that's the type of thing. I don't think it'll cost him a move. I don't think it'll say that he'll go from a top ten Premier League team to a top ten Championship team in terms of that, that big a drop off. But it's something he has to eradicate from his game. He can still be bustling, he can still be physical, he can still rough it up, he can still give like, wee elbows and still be cute and still do the dark arts and, and the like, dirty tricks if you want to say it that way. He doesn't need to do likes of that one, likes the elbow up at, up at Tannadice. They're just daft. And I know fans always want to defend them. I've defended them probably more than most press guys. But there are wee things that if, if he doesn't do it, he doesn't then get the headlines. And there's still just wee, wee things in his game. If he eradicates it, there's more positive headlines than there are negative ones. And as much as Rangers fans greatly love him, great player, and we're great to see him win the title, I don't think you can overlook the fact that he still has these still has these flaws three years on and he really just shouldn't have anymore. Yeah. I mean look, I so I live I live down in London and I you know, I'm fortunate enough sometimes to to have uh, an outsider's view on these things, and, and we both, all three of us now, have mentioned the perception of a buying club that, that they might have of Alfredo Morelos, and I, I do think it's important because the thing that people down here say to me is, um, you know, he's he's got a temper or he's um, ill-disciplined, and that they wouldn't want their club to buy him. So I do think it, I do think it has an impact, rightly or wrongly, because we know that he's much like Ryan Jack three or four years ago, he's had red cards overturned and and maybe has been unfairly treated because of a reputation that he's got, but that's that's the nature of it, unfortunately. Um, David, again, I'm glad I'm asking you this because much like Irvin Welsh, you're quite the wordsmith. Um, Irvin Welsh was on Hibs TV and uh, whilst we, we don't necessarily want to be making a an ongoing saga or something that, that maybe doesn't need to be. He's he's found himself maybe in a wee bit of hot water and, and Hibs have apologised to Rangers allegedly for some comments that he made about how Morelos should be chopped up and fed to some seagulls. Um, caused quite an outrage, obviously, uh, both directed at him, directed at David Tanner for not pulling him up live on air about it. And it's um, the, the Greg Marshall, the SLO for Rangers, has confirmed that, that Hibs have apologised for that behaviour. What was your, your take on those comments and... and the reaction that's come from that? Um, too stupid, really, I think. Needless, probably. Um, there's be a lot. Of, again, this is this is another one that's sort of blown up on, on Twitter, which in Scottish football, you know, is the way of it. Um, you know, just just daft comments, something that it was a bit needless. In terms of David Tanner's involvement, I, I think if I was a broadcaster in that situation, I think you'd be you'd be shocked rather than, and I mean, listen, David Tanner's an experienced guy, but I think in that situation, when you're doing the in-house media, I don't blame him for his reaction because I think that's a that's a split-second decision and, and the next thing you know, the conversation's moved on. I doubt Hibs have got the same sort of production staff that major broadcasters have that are telling David Tanner to say something about it. Um, I think if, if Irvin Welsh had been on Sky or BBC and said something like that 
the likelihood is they would have apologised right on air for it. Um, something of that that ilk. Uh, I think that just shows why you shouldn't have people who aren't, you know, I loathe to say football people because we've seen numerous times in, in the Scottish media that, uh, sorry, not the Scottish media because I'm part of that, but the um, but certainly the broadcasters and some of the people that, that speak that have played the game and in England, to be fair, I think it's a, it's a UK problem. Uh, there seems to be a lot of football guys who maybe don't make the best points on there. But I think when you invite someone like Irvin Welsh, who I would assume, you know, well, I think we all love it. Most of us love the stuff that he's done in his career. But he's going to bring an edginess to anything he does. I don't think he's going to play it by the, the book in, in the sense of football broadcasting. So you're always taking a risk, I think. Um, I mean, not to say, I, I, didn't, I wouldn't have expected something like that, but Certainly needless, and I think Hibs as a club will probably be quite embarrassed and, and pissed off about that because, you know, it is needless um, bad press for them. Uh, and, yeah, the, just, just uh, I think, again, as I said about the Morelos red card um, outrage, you know, I think this is another one that you just have to forget about, you know, because... Um, yeah, it's really not worth the time, I don't think. I think you've just got to move on and, and take a more high ground in these situations. Yeah. I, I, do you know what? I think, I think you're right. I've seen calls for uh, the SFA to investigate. I've seen calls for Rangers to, um, you know, make public statements about how inappropriate it was. Um, obviously, numerous complaints were made to Ofcom, which doesn't actually regulate in-house media channels like that, but um, I, I can see why why fans would have would have done so. But I think I agree, David, that we've, we've received the apology. Clearly, that guy's not going to go back on Hibs TV, um, and uh, and maybe we just we just let that be the end of it. And, and maybe that ties into our uh, strategy of look, everything's going so well on the pitch. Let's not do anything to, to be a wee bit of a sideshow if we don't need to. Um, Chris, we have now reached the end of January. And the points gap is massive, astronomical, um, and certainly the biggest points gap that, that I can remember at this stage of the season. Um, still unbeaten, only, what's it, seven, seven or eight goals conceded all season. Um, we've all been sort of talking about how it's one game at a time. Stuart Weir was very clear on that when he was on the show uh, last week. It's one game at a time, and it's, um, you know, we don't count our chickens, we don't celebrate too early. I mean, from a, a neutral and an impartial perspe- uh, perspective, surely, surely this is this is all over and this is wrapped up. I think it's all over and it's, it's wrapped up. I've said it's been all over and wrapped up for a couple of weeks. I, I, I wrote a column maybe three weeks or so ago uh, and then we followed it up last week basically saying, no, league's done, it's, it's over and dusted. I had a number of people saying, look, it's still too early, now it's one game at a time, now the rest of it. I think MD that said, Oz knew what the points gap was and said, right, Celtic have to win three games in hand. They need to win both old firm games. MD that's seen any of Celtic over the last few weeks knows they weren't going to win their three games in hand. The chances of them beating Rangers in the two old firm games and basically winning every single game, the last 16, 17, 18, 19 games, whatever it was going to be, they were never going to win every single game in hand. Uh, and once Rangers got Wednesday night out of the road. I think Wednesday night was the last game to stumble. Everybody looked at, at January, think, well, you've, you've got the whole firm game. Aberdeen away, Motherwell away, we obviously slipped up. You've got Hibs away. To come through January, 
should have taken full points to only drop two points, see Celtic implode even more so than they had done in the previous like 10 weeks or so, uh, I'd, I'd be utterly astounded if Rangers don't go in the win league from here. It's, it's going to happen. Celtic are in no position to actually capitalise on it. Uh, to, even if Rangers were to have a, a bad couple of weeks and the momentum kind of falls away a wee bit, Celtic just aren't in a position to capitalise on that. No, and I mean, obviously, this is a Rangers podcast, and, and we don't like to spend too much time talking about about them. But why do you think that is? I mean, it, it seems that they've they've imploded greater than any implosion we've seen before. I mean, Rangers form January, February last year fell away dramatically, but but the the contrast between you know the the quadruple treble winners and and the unbeaten season under Brendan to to where they are now of of a broken manager throwing his players under the bus, um, a CEO that's resigned, uh, it, it seems to be in, in utter disarray. And I think Rangers have done very, very well to capitalise on that. But I mean, Celtic yesterday lost at home to St Mirren for the first time in 30 years. Um, have one of the, I think they're, am I right in saying they're eighth in the form table over the last six games? I mean, how do you even begin to try and explain what's what's changed there? To put a Rangers slant on it, it's been my biggest bugbear over the last couple of seasons. Rangers have, much like Celtic, aren't in a position to capitalise. Rangers have never put sustained pressure on Celtic to actually see what they're made of. Over, over the last couple of years, certainly after after Rodgers left, I always thought there's a bit of a, a, a fragility there and they could be they could be got at. But for one reason or other, whether it was coming back from Tenerife, coming back to Dubai, players losing form, Morelos losing form and the team just not being able to. Rangers could just never keep the pressure on for that wee bit longer just to actually make Celtic think to ask different questions of them and as soon as it became obvious this season like this Rangers team isn't going to go away they've got a different mentality they've got something different about them Celtic just completely completely wilted and the whole I know the Dave King pack of guards line has, has come to four once again but you know, when I was actually in the press conference read it, and we said it that day and the week, days and weeks after it everybody dismissed it because it was Dave King that said it nobody People dismissed the message because who it came from rather than actually looking at it and saying, like, this this could actually happen. Once Celtic lose Rodgers, once they lose a couple of good players, once Rangers actually get right together, it's only taken one good season, one full complete season from Rangers for Celtic's whole whole structure just to, just to basically disintegrate. And as we were saying before we came on here, it's now a new chief exec, a new sporting director, director of football, whatever you want to do. A new manager, definitely, because obviously Lennon's Lennon's probably off. So that that's a really big summer. Plus, looking at Ayer going, Cham going, McGregor going, Edward going, Christie going, and there's now a chance here with Rangers with a, a proper structure in place. I'm sure we'll come on the transfer window. Rangers are planning two, three windows down the line. Rangers are building from a position of strength. And Celtic are where Rangers were a couple of years ago, needing an overhaul, needing somebody to come in and lift lift the whole thing. Kind of where Rangers were before Stephen Gerrard. Needs somebody to come in and basically grab the whole club, bring the whole club back back together, uh, and basically try and rebuild a, try and rebuild a team. Uh, and to do that in, in one season is a huge ask for them. That's, I think that's the interesting thing. If, if we try and strip away all of the emotion from this, uh, which is, of course, utterly impossible, but if you look at it from a, you know, a pure sporting business perspective, it's not just an on-the-park rebuild that they need. And, and, and clubs go through that. Clubs go through an on-the-park on the rebuild every few years. It has to happen when you know, there's natural attrition of players, players retire, players get sold. But it's off the park as well. And it's not like um, you know, Lowell's only just been there a few years. 17 years that guy's been in that role. Um, and had 
utter control over the club and allegedly large parts of Scottish football. Um, you know, he, he has a, a, a strong influence over. So it's it, it's the, the combination of those two things, I think, make it very, very interesting and very exciting from a Rangers perspective to see how that goes. And obviously, they're, they're, we don't want to uh, kind of predict the future here because it come, could make us look very, very foolish. But you bring in a guy with, with no experience of football, um, never had to really buy or sell a player, and never never been introduced to the murky world of football agents and football contracts. And, and uh, I don't know, it's, uh, I, like I say, if you look at this as, a, as an academic exercise, it's, it's very, very interesting. But David, it, it looks very possible that we'll, we'll win it at Parkhead. Um, and actually, until yesterday, I probably said it was looking likely that that could be the date that, that we would have circled on the calendars. Obviously, they go and drop more points yesterday and it's possible that we'll win it at Dundee United the, the week before. But would you enjoy the experience, given that fans won't be there, would you enjoy the experience of winning it uh, at Parkhead? Or would you prefer, even with, with empty stands, would you prefer to win the league at Ibrox? Um, uh, I really don't care. Because I'm, I'm just, I'm, still, I'm not quite as far down the road as you're saying. Uh, I'm, I'm just waiting and I, I, I don't want to tempt fate. So, um, but no, I would just be, I'd be happy to win it wherever, uh, really. As long as it was just done and dusted, it would be great. The thing that, just listening to, to your conversation there, the thing that I'm struggling with at the moment is, uh, you know, there was, there's been a few clips going around and, and obviously, you know, a lot of Rangers fans are having a laugh at stuff that's going on, quite rightly. Um, there was a guy on Super Scoreboard yesterday, I don't know if anyone heard that, basically in tears. Now, See, to, to unpackage that um, is, is quite interesting because this is a team who have won, or a club who have won nine league titles in a row. They've won four trebles in a row. So every trophy. It takes, you know, one bad run, one bad season for their full world to come crashing down. Now, we have had the most miserable 10 years that any football fan could have now when you when you really look at it low points Colin mentioned getting beat from Annan at Ibrox was a low point we were getting we were getting beat regularly in that third division season we won the league comfortably but there was a few bad moments in that it was desperate the second season was arguably worse because you know it was just a bit boring and then the third season we thought we'd go back up we didn't we then, you know, um, finally get back up with Warburton and then we're embarrassed, you know, numerous times by Brendan Rodgers Celtic. Have to take that. Haven't won a trophy in God knows how long. Um, and then you get, you know, this this new guy, this new Portuguese manager, and he brings in Bruno Alves and we all think, Jesus, we're back in the money here. We're back in Europe, fantastic. Then we get put out by a part-time team who, you know, had a bunch of plumbers and farmers playing for them. My manager stood in a bush and shouted at the fans. Then get back in the bus. Then we get we get pumped from Motherwell in the semi-final. Centre half gets his nose smashed open. Then the manager gets sent off. Then he gets sacked. Then we have Marty to the end of that season. And that I said this in the last pod. Pod, pod I was on last. I think it was last week. That was arguably the worst six months of the full time when when Marty was in charge. From that 3-2 game at Ibrox until the end of that season, 
was as desperate as it had ever felt. We were getting hammered, hammered twice in about two or three weeks by Celtic. And you just didn't know where we were going. You just thought, this is, we are now at a stage where I don't know if we're ever coming back or when we're going to win another trophy. Gerard comes in and it's just changed in the last two years. And, you know, I think we deserve this as, as a fan base. I think we deserve this success. Um, and hopefully, you know, again, I, I don't know if I want to um, tempt fate in any way, but certainly the way things are at the moment, all points to us winning the league, which I think would be a magnificent achievement for Steven Gerrard, for the club itself. I think, you know, regardless of the performances in the pitch, the, the, the value of the squad alone is a remarkable um, feat, considering with very few sellable assets when, when Gerald came in, really, when you look at the squad. Um, so to have, you know, a few players there that are worth over 10 million quid, you would probably say, you know, in Kent, Kamara, Morellas, Goldson, Tavernier, then a remarkable job. But I think it's quite interesting, really. You know, we've put up with a lot of awful, you know, performances on the pitch, a lot of embarrassing moments off the pitch in the last 10 years. Um and we've just had to sit and take it. And Celtic have won everything. And won everything up until December last year, or last year, sorry. And yet, you know, one bad run, and it's like the end of the world. Every single episode, it seems every every radio show is dominated by what's going on at Celtic, and it's been that for four months now. And don't get me wrong, I listen to it every night, but... but uh, but, I mean, it's remarkable. It is remarkable. Um, and, you know, I'm not complaining, but I just find that it's really, really hard to get your head around. And I think if you were someone that was new to Scottish football, I mean, it, it, it makes no sense. But, listen, we are in a great position. We've got a great squad, a good manager, who looks like he, he wants to stay at the club um, long-term, which is great. And... Things are good, and it, I think it's been a long time coming because we've put up with a lot of shit over the past 10 years, and we've also spent a lot of money going to watch the team. Um, so yeah, that's that's my that's my spiel. That was it, was very nice. Um, it was it's just it's my it's my big, it was my big moment in the sun. I, I, I thought I'd take it, yeah, you really took it. Um, <laughs> as as passionate as Stephen O'Donnell on sports scene last night, it was yes, rousing. Aye, that, that was that was again. That sort of falls into my point. That was the most. That was remarkable as well. Um, it's it's um, it, that it's uh, it's bad for Scottish football for Rangers to be so far ahead and so dominant when Celtic have won everything for the best part of a decade. Yeah, yeah. But you know, that's his opinion, and that's fine. If he yeah. thinks that, then fine. But I'm quite satisfied with how far ahead we are. Yeah. No, you're right. Um, Gents, there's an interesting question that's come up in the chat uh, from the delightfully named Scooby Nut 82. Um, I think that's what David was going to be called if he wasn't called David, so that's good. Um, I'll start with yourself, Chris. It's uh, what would you rather? Would you rather see Rangers win the league and stay unbeaten and, and beat Celtic's record for unbeaten games, or would you rather see Rangers win the league and uh, beat? Celtic's record of 29 points between first and second. So win the league and, and beat the record for unbeaten games or beat the record for the gap between first and second? 
I think the gap is more significant than the unbeaten unbeaten run. I know that the unbeaten run has also been done not not that long ago, and Rangers obviously can't uh, match the, uh, the invincible seasons. Even if if they were to go through the season or the uh, Premiership season unbeaten, it could always be thrown back at you. Nah, well, not Brendan Rodgers team did it a couple of years ago, and they won. Now they were unbeaten every single game. Unbeaten wise, I don't think the manager and the players are with that fast. I think well, it's it's still there. It's something to aim for. It's something to try and try and achieve. If it was to end once the league's done uh, and have to lose a game, three four games before the end of the season, I don't think they'll be they'll be that gutted. I think finishing as far ahead as Celtic as possible. That, that's a real statement of intent because as we just mentioned, the new guys come in, new chief exec, new sporting director, new manager. They then look at the table and think. Now that's a sizable. If you if you lose the league by six seven points as well, it's only two two three games that we can catch that up. If you potentially lose lose the league by twenty plus points, that, that doesn't happen very often. It doesn't that, that really happens in in Scottish football? And that that'd be a real statement of intent from Rangers. If they could be as relentless and as ruthless and keep that going, you're then sitting at Parkhead over the summer thinking, how the hell do we claw back? 25, 30 points, whatever it ends up being. I think that'd be, I think that's a, if it's between those two things, I think finishing as far ahead as, as possible would be the, it would be the aim for them. And I think if you ask the manager and, and the board and the players, I think that's how they would, how they'd answer it as well. Yeah. Yeah. Well put. David, how about yourself? Um, it's, it's a weird one because I've been, I've sort of been looking at the, the table and just kind of, the results and what we would have to do to, to match the Celtic um, unbeaten run of, of 2016-17. I think we would need to win every single game until the end of the season. It's difficult that because, you know, if, if, if things keep going the way they are and we do win the title with games to spare, you know what it's like. It sort of becomes harder to keep that run going. But it's difficult because... A lot of people outside Rangers, you know, mates that I've got that don't support Rangers, seems to be, you know, a lot of people are saying that they think that they will go unbeaten. You know, it doesn't seem to just be Rangers fans that are thinking that this side is capable of that, which is testament to Gerard and his players. But um, I think it's possible whether it will happen. I mean, it's a, this is something that's only been done, you know, once in the past however many years. So... It just so happens it was only four or five years ago, but it would be a great achievement. I would love to do it, but I think just getting the title done and dusty has got to be the main um, objective for now. And then once we win that, hopefully spurs the players on. But I wouldn't be surprised if you find we maybe drop, maybe drop points or lose a game in the final stretch once the league's done and dusty. But I don't, it's not something I'm obsessed by, but it would be nice. It would be nice just for... I, th- I don't know if it'd be the first ever for the club in the top flight. Ross, you're a, you're a man that knows his stats. Uh, we won every game back in the 20s or 30s, I believe. Um, I'll ask Colin, because Colin was around then. Um, Aye. You'd be 10 or 11 then. <laughs> so, uh... No, but we did. Um, uh, admittedly, with a smaller league. Or, uh, here we go, Frankie in the chat. Uh, just saying, 90, uh, 1899 to 1900, we won every game. Um, so, I, I mean... Admittedly, that's that's maybe a, a grander achievement, but um, no, I, I, they're both massive achievements. Whether it's you know the, the gap, the points gap, or an unbeaten season, um, whatever happens, as long as we win the league this season, it, it's it's remarkable. I mean, I don't know if we can if we can set a record for the earliest title as well, 
because we're we're looking at winning it late February. You know, it's 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 remarkable either way. Uh, gents, before we move on to talk about the transfer window, which uh, which comes to a close tomorrow evening, um, I'm just going to take a moment to, to mention a couple of the partners that we have here at Jersnet, uh, who, who very gratefully support the, the, the Jersnet podcast that we have. The first of whom is uh, www.rangerspicks.com. Rangers Picks uh, is the official Rangers Pick'em game. Uh, super easy to sign up, uh, create an account. It's totally free to play. All you have to do is answer 12 questions and make 12 predictions about the upcoming game. Uh, the, the rangerspicks.com sort of lobby for the, the St. Johnston game is live now. Um, you just have to answer some, some very simple questions of what you think will happen in the game, such as will Ryan Kent get an assist? How many tackles will Glenn Kamara make? Um, and there is a, a prize pot of £1,000 to be won for every game. Um, I managed to pick up £60 this weekend. Uh, and as I say, it's totally free to play. Of course, it's how easy it is, James. It is very, very easy. I won £60. Frankie won £50 on the first game of the season. So, um, I, it's 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 good. It's free. It's worthwhile, um, and it's it's very very easy to get involved. It does count as gambling, so please make sure that you are uh, aged above eighteen and always gamble aware. The other partner that we have is Football Prizes, which is www.footballprizes.co.uk, who run um, competitions to win signed shirts and, and very very nicely presented memorabilia. Um, they have a Glenn Kamara signed shirt, which is nicely framed and backlit, and it's it's uh, a really impressive piece of kit. You have to be really, really quick with these guys because they, they launch prizes and they are sold out very quickly. There's only 99 tickets for each one. Um, but So please do keep your eye on the, the Jazznet Twitter feed and we'll be tweeting out links as soon as we can for the, the next upcoming competitions. So that's footballprizes.co.uk. Right, uh, Chris, the January transfer window closes tomorrow. Obviously, there's been some business so far. I think I read uh, an article this week that across, mainly across England, that the number of transfers that have been done is staggeringly low. And that's maybe due to the, the insecurity of COVID, some insecurity or, or uncertainty around Brexit as well. Um, but the number of transfers being done in, in Scotland as well seems to be, you know, certainly breaking with tradition of recent years. It's, it's declining massively. Um, the deals that we've done, Tommy Wright on a pre-contract, uh, Tommy Wright, that would have been a shocking signing. Um, Scott Wright on a pre-contract coming in from Aberdeen. Uh, Jack Simpson coming up from, from Bournemouth was announced yesterday. And uh, Namde Offabar is widely expected to sign from Bournemouth on a pre-contract as well. Um, uh, Chris, I guess the first question is, are, are you happy with that business? And are you maybe disappointed to see that these are just reinforcements for the summer rather than, than coming in now? I don't think Rangers really needed anything this month, they certainly didn't need a, a massive overhaul. There's no point in really spending money for the sake of it. If the, if the lead had only been five or six points, hey, right, we'll go and try and bring in one more just to give us that wee bit of security. Uh, but the manager's been pleased with the squad throughout the whole season. The squad overall has stood up to the rigours of the season. We have lost players through injury or suspension. There's guys that will be able to come in and, and play a part uh, in, the, in the business that the, uh, the manager and uh, Ross Wilson did in the summer has certainly, has certainly stood us in, in good stead. Uh, I think that, as I mentioned earlier on, Rangers can now build from a position of strength. They can look at, right, we'll need Scott Wright in the summer because Jones is all, all but done. Brandon Barker away. You'll need somebody a, a bit fresher. Uh, same, same with Simpson, you might be looking at even a season down the line, Conor Goldson maybe going back down south having a crack at the Premier League is Simpson the guy that can keep, have, have a season here and then eventually step into, step into his shoes. So Rangers now can plan. They don't just need to look at the window and say, what do we need now? What's, what's the priority to see us to January? What's the priority to see us to the summer so we can win the league? They can look 
next window, the window after that, the window after that, look at replacement for Gold and look at replacement for Taff, look at replacement for McGregor, look at one for Stephen Davis and that, just really kind of keep the squad evolving and, um, and improving all the time. So I'm, I'm fairly... Rangers have done the business. I thought they would do not in terms of the names, but in, in terms of the types of signings, they've, they've basically ticked all the boxes and how I thought they would uh, go about January. So what's what struck me, Chris, is that we are seemingly targeting young talent for British clubs. Do you think that that's a um, you know a, a dedicated strategy that we've got? I mean, I, I remember particularly in the Warburton years. There was so much frustration about we're picking up guys from Wigan and Brentford and, and places that Warburton has worked. Uh, we should be looking in Poland. We should be looking in Croatia, um, Eastern Europe, and pick up good talent cheap from there. Now, obviously, we, we, we've we've done that to a degree with, um, I guess, with Morelos coming from Finland, with uh, Niko Katic, with Borna Barisic coming from Croatia. Um, but it seems that we might have... Uh, shifted back to picking up the best young talent from, from British clubs at the end of their contracts. Do you think that that's, a, like I say, a dedicated strategy? Or do you think that things like Brexit might potentially be having an impact on this? It may well do. It's not something I've actually discussed with the club in terms of the impact that Brexit's having on it. I think when you're looking at Warburton doing it, it was guys that he knew or guys that he played with. And that's different from what Gerard is doing. With, with all respect, Green has also it did well at the likes of Tavani and, and did okay at Waghorn, but other ones like Keirlan and some of the other guys that came up also, also didn't do as well. I think it's different with Stephen Gerrard doing it because they, they can really exploit the English system and English market, if you like. Like of Simpson, they can pick him up for they're picking up for nothing. Like say Joe Rebo, pick him up for like three hundred grand, whatever it was they paid for him. And at three hundred grand, you're just not going to lose on Joe Rebo. You'll you'll make your you're making money t- 10 times over easily. So the, I think that's, that is an area and that is a market we can look at. They see how, how the English game is going. They're, they're still spending money. They're still bringing in foreign guys. They're still spending big. And there's a, a wealth of talent there that can be developed. And, and the way that Rangers have to operate the, the market, it's buy, buy low, sell high. And the easiest way to do that is to go down the road, pick, pick up guys, give them a chance, give them Europa League football, give them Champions League football next season, give them the chance to play in front of 50,000 at Ibrox, give them the chance to work alongside Steven Gerrard. There's a lot of things that Rangers can offer that a Bournemouth can't, that a Charlton can't, even Premier League clubs can't, for instance, again, like Sir Ryan Kent up. We, we can offer players something different. We can offer players progression rather than stagnation that they will get down south. So, well, they do have to try and get the new Katich or the new Barisic, and there's undoubtedly bargains out there in, in Central Europe and in Eastern Europe and in, in Scandinavia. I think you will see Rangers continue to go down that, bring, bring in these young English guys because they've then got a premium because Rangers have to make money and the, and the board have admitted it. It has to be part of the full, full uh, time funding model of the club to sell players and the easiest way to do it, bring, bring them in from England, a couple of good seasons, back down the road, Keep, keep the profit, be invested in somebody else and the whole thing just becomes almost like a snowball effect. Aye, I wonder if there's if there's less risk this way as well. You know, we, we've done well with our, our Central and Eastern European scouting. Um, I think that the, the obvious flop that we had was Eros Gresda. Um, but I think I'm right in saying that we actually recouped a fair amount of money um, punning him back to where he came from. So um, it, it seems to have been pretty successful for us, but but just in terms of the risks of that player being unable to settle or, or not not familiar with the style of football that we have in, in Scotland, it, I don't know. Maybe it's maybe it's less risky this way, and, and and certainly whilst we don't seem to be in the market for 
first team star impact players um, because you know we're doing quite well in that regard. Obviously, um, I think I think you're right that this is these are markets that make sense for us and 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 they're players with undoubted talent who, who maybe don't get the looking that they deserve um, down south. David, how about yourself? I mean, obviously we. we we have around about 24 hours left in the transfer window at the time of recording this. Do you expect to see anything, maybe not even just at Rangers, but, but across Scotland tomorrow? I think what I'm particularly interested in is with Rangers, we have these, these pre-contracts who will be coming up in the summer. But as we saw with Glenn Kamara, there's always a way to make a deal to get that, that player in earlier. Do you think that Jack Simpson or, um, I was going to call him Tommy Wright again, Scott Wright, do you think that there's a chance that that we'll see something happen tomorrow that will that will get them in the door a wee bit earlier? Um, I don't think Simpson will be, but I, I'm not sure. I mean, Chris is obviously a better context than me in the old uh, in Rangers, but I wouldn't be surprised if Scott Wright came tomorrow. But the thing is, we don't really have any strikers to offer Derek McInnes, and I think that is what they will be looking for tomorrow um, certainly after two goal, goal of straws and losing well looking to lose Cosgrove so it'll be interesting to see how that one comes together and whether we can get him in the door I think he would actually make quite a big difference to the squad uh, it would give us another option the wide areas um, in terms of wider Scottish football I, th- I don't know it's difficult because the the cash isn't isn't flowing in, in for some clubs, so it'll be interesting. I, I can't see any major shocks coming. Um, I don't think anything else will happen at Rangers. I think the only thing you'll possibly see would be Scott Wright coming in. I think it'd be good to get him in now because it, you know give him a chance to get himself equipped with um, with with the team and, and the, his, his teammates. But I think Scott Wright's an obvious one that fits into the system and fits into the way we play. I think he'll you'll benefit from playing for Rangers rather than Aberdeen who maybe don't benefit a, a player of his sort of um, physical attributes and, and, and the way probably he likes to play the game. So it'll be interesting. I would love to see him in. I'd love to see him come early tomorrow. Uh, but I don't know. I think Aberdeen have got quite a lot in their plate and I think they'll have a few things they need to get done tomorrow. So whether we can we can find a way, I don't. I'm not so sure. Yeah, that'll be that'll be interesting. I'm sure, Chris, that you'll be uh, kept busy regardless of, uh, of of what deals do or do not get done. Um, gents, before we wrap up, um, I thought it would just be interesting to, to maybe reflect a wee bit, cast our minds back over over previous January transfer windows. David, you and I were talking about this in the week, um, so I'll start with yourself. Who would you say is the, the best signing that Rangers have made in, in a, a January transfer window? The obvious one for me in my lifetime, uh, Barry Ferguson, 2005. That was that was a that was quite a surprising signing, really. Um, at the time, I mean, it might not have been to adults, but I was only a boy, so it was quite surprising for me. Considering I just left, um, but the one that always. <laughs> And when I actually said this to you the other night, the one that, that sticks in my mind's I was at a gig in Glasgow, 2011, it would have been January 2011, and I was at the O2 Academy, and I checked my phone, I think it was my first iPhone or whatever, and um, Rangers sign El Has Juf, and I was like, what? That is unbelievable. And when they signed it, it was like one of those signings that Walter Smith made from time to time, 
there seemed to just be a, a bit of a banner signing, you know, um, because El Hadjouf, I don't know, he barely kicked the ball for us. I can't remember how many appearances he made. I don't even know if he scored a goal. But that was a great signing. That was just a laugh. That was like one of those signings that you're like, aye, that's a right good laugh. Um, but in recent years, obviously last season, which was a weird one, I think it was a year ago today, we signed uh, Camberry from Hibs on loan. So that was a weird one, but that's probably more weird than good in terms of Rangers. But for me, Barry Ferguson remains the, the, the goat of um, Rangers' January signings. Yeah, I remember that one well because it was it was very late at night, wasn't it? On on the deadline itself. Aye. Mm. So will they? Won't they? Four and a half million swoop. Exactly. Um, exactly. So well, yeah, m- memorable. I think. I mean, so looking at El Hadjouf here on Wikipedia, fifteen appearances, one goal. Um, as he was brought in. Uh, I think it was a. Do you know what? I think it was quite a good goal he scored, and I think it was in like a relatively big game. I've, I have absolutely no recollection of it. My main recollection of El Hadjouf is must have been a cup final, and there's him sort of stood on the uh, the steps at Hampden, going up to the dugout, just doing that after we won a cup. Um, for the audio viewers, that was a audio listeners rather. That was a kind of arms in the air, waving it about movement, um, and that was uh, my main recollection of him at Rangers. I don't remember him doing anything else. But like you say, banter. Like the only other question I have about that, David, was who was the gig? Oh God! Well, I can't remember. No. I've no idea. It would have been some sort of um, emo band, aye. probably, like some sort of aye. There'd be something like that. But well, I'm gonna. I've I've just found the goal. It was Sport and Lisbon away. Right. It was a header. I remember it well. It was the one when we scored in the last seconds of the game right. to go through. So Excellent. that was a, a great header. But no, I'm I'm sort of get, I'm trying to deflect from whatever band it was that I was I was away seeing, but it was some sort of embarrassing emo thing. Excellent, not glad to hear it. Um, you're right though. We we've had some some poor January signings. The the, the worst one that springs to mind for me is maybe a, an Andy Webster or someone like that. Um, but Chris, yourself, the, the the best January signing that you can remember for Rangers. Just for the record, on El Hajjouf, he also scored a 2-1 win at home to Kilmarnock in March 2011, according to Soccerbase. I, I can't honestly remember, but he scored early on. Jamie Hamill, penalty equalised, and Tim Clancy own goal, won it for Rangers. Not, not one that lived in the memory, I'm sure. Probably there, like, probably at that game, and still can't even remember it. It's, it's, how, it's how memorable it was. In terms of January signings, I can't believe you didn't mention David there. When I saw this on the, on an agenda earlier on, I just assumed that if, if he didn't come to me first, my shout would have been out the window and I need to scramble and try and try and think of something else and probably landed on Barry Ferguson. But David Weir for me is the is, is the best January sign that Rangers have made for, for quite some time. Uh, the, the ultimate uh, short term stopgap that uh, turned into a great great captain, uh, a legend of, of the club during that time when they gave gave so much so so much success part of a also a great side under under Walter. So now David Weir for me and uh, to come in and, and do the job that he did for uh, for so long. He's he's got to bring it up there in terms of uh, in terms of best uh, January deals. I actually I'm think afraid. that 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 window you're on about. I, I believe it was David Weir ago, Ekiog and Kevin Thompson all came in that January. So am I right in saying that <laughs> the silence is deafening? <laughs> that's a, that's I think a, I'm, I'm pretty sure Ugo Ekiog definitely did. And then I think 
Kevin Thompson might have as well. So yeah, no, that's that's better memory than mine, Chris. Hundred percent. Well, Chris, am I right in saying that he came in? It was, as you say, a stopgap. It was a, a six-month deal at first, was it not? Just made the bend till the end of the season. Walter uh, obviously just needed somebody. Having comment, needed somebody to shore up that defence. I see obviously by Gary Og. Uh, came in as well just needed somebody that he knew somebody experienced just to try and uh, tide us over and ended up tidying us over to three league titles yeah. Yeah. well do you know what I think you're right that those two Barry Ferguson and David Weir are two sort of that jumped to mind immediately but I'm surprised that neither of you have said Chris Boyd you know comes in in January mm-hmm. scores 20 goals in 21 games hat-trick on his debut um, the top scorer that the Premier League, Scottish Premier League has ever seen um, infinitely better than Henrik Larsson as a footballer uh, total wind-up merchant banter pundit um, I, I think he's not just in terms of what he's done on the pitch but what he's doing now off the pitch as well probably makes him my favourite January transfer window signing so I'm, um, I'm starting to think you two had discussed this before and then led me in with the Barry Ferguson thing and now you're throwing up these these names as if as if you're just so much more knowledgeable than me. Like, you idiot. I can't believe you didn't say Davy Weir. I'll, I'll tell you what, you're an idiot you didn't say Chris Boyd. I've been stitched up again. I think so, straight off the top of the head. <laughs> it's it's hard to say that you were stitched up when this segment was your idea. It was my idea. I know. <laughs> that shows how lazy I am. Absolutely no preparation. <laughs> no, Barry Ferguson. Because he'd scored, he'd scored 17 goals for Kilmarnock in the first half of that season, I think. And, and that Barry Ferguson? That's what you said there. Barry Ferguson. Chris, but come on. I, mean, that, I think that's nearly time anyway. Ah, we're, we're, we're losing control of this show. That was the losing control of the show. That's my fault. Um, right. No, you're right. That will that will do. Um, I think we'll have to wrap it up there. I will say a massive thank you to, to both David and to Chris for giving up their time this evening and, and joining me. Um, the show will be back next weekend. Um, when, David, is that yourself taking charge of that one? No, I've, I think it's Colin. Colin, the main man's back. It's fine. So people keep saying on Twitter, which really, really hurt my ego. I know, it's really bad, isn't it? Um, uh, Colin's, I think he's got more Twitter followers than you and me put together. That's a shame. Um, but Colin will be back, so make sure you email questions about the 1899 season and we'll get them discussed. Um, as I said, please do head over to the website www.jersnet.co.uk and get involved in the friendly discussion forum where you can find all of your Jersnet podcast contributors. Until next time, thank you so much for listening. Um, have a great week and please do stay safe. Bye for now.